Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuel Ettini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. Welcome to another episode, and today we are going to the States to learn more about something that really intrigued me. When I read the book, I was like, wow, this idea is a great idea on how to solve the problem and really make, not America great, but really make it a leading example on how can lead the world towards this sustainability and climate crisis. I'm very pleased to have here an activist, somebody, a woman that has struggled all her life fighting for environment and the rights of people. Maya von Rossum. Maya, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. You have written the book, The Green Amendment, a wonderful book. I read it like in two days. It was like, wow, it catches my attention. And then there is the foreword of Mark Ruffalo, Kerry Evany Harris, wonderful examples and work. But before going deeper in the book and seeing the great idea, I mean, seriously, you have a wonderful story. What is your journey? Who is Maya? I've really had the honor for the last 30 years of serving in the role as the Delaware Riverkeeper and leading a four-state organization called the Delaware Riverkeeper Network, which is all entirely focused on protecting the Delaware River, which goes through four states in the U.S., Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, and Delaware. It's 330 miles long. Its watershed is 13,539 square miles. And my job as the Delaware Riverkeeper is to literally be the voice of the river and with my organization to use advocacy and grassroots organizing and litigation to fight the good fight for the river and take on all the challenges that she faces. Um, and really to make sure that in our human world, she has not just a voice, but that she is given the highest level of protection possible. And it's through that work that I have come to recognize how our US system of laws for environmental protection are just fundamentally failing us. And it is one reason why so many communities and so many environments suffer such egregious harm here in the US. And that is why I ended up founding the Green Amendment movement that we're going to talk about. You have just posed the question, you know, the States is the leading industrialized country in the world. But usually I can say there is a myopic industrialization and development. One of the book I just read and we presented a couple of episodes ago, you know, we have achieved very much in development, but it might be a pyrrhic victory. We have sacrificed the environment. We have sacrificed in the wake of profits, short-termism, shareholder primacy. What is really the problem with the U.S.? So what we have in the United States, and I would hazard a guess, is pretty much in every um, country across our world, is that the way the laws are written when it comes to the environment, the way government operates, it really is focused on accepting environmental pollution and degradation as a foregone conclusion, a necessary evil, something we have to accommodate. And as a result, all of these laws are written so that they hop to the end of the process, accepting pollution and degradation and figuring out how to legalize it literally legalize it through reviews and permits. Permits that 
do exactly that. They permit pollution and degradation to happen legally under the law. This is not a system of laws that is focused on preventing pollution, degradation, and harm first. It is not a system of laws that presumes that we do not and should not degrade the environment. Again, it, it sort of accepts it um, as a necessary evil. And it's also a system of laws where there are a lot of gaps. There are a lot of loopholes sometimes unintentionally, but all too often intentionally, that are designed to allow the use of dangerous contaminants and the advancement of devastating industrial operations like fracking for fossil fuels from shale, you know, the geology of the earth, to allow those things to advance without limitation, without regulation, without oversight from government in order to protect communities. And it's also a system that is designed, again, sometimes some will say unintentionally, I would suggest it's very intentionally, to sacrifice communities of color and indigenous communities and immigrant and low-income communities to highly polluting industrial operations and environmentally degrading activities, allowing them to be consistently and repeatedly targeted for all of these environmentally degrading industries, actions, and activities under the auspices of protecting everybody else. And so our communities of color and our indigenous and low-income communities really suffer disproportionately the devastating consequences of environmental pollution and degradation. When I read the book, I really felt, you know, all this discussion and the what you see, and then the, the solution that you proposed is on legislation. Because at the end of the day, the cooperation, the legislation and the work I usually fell about, you know, the, the usually public goods dilemma. Water, air, they are there. There's, we don't pay them. And therefore, the willingness to cooperate is really low because polluting is a far better way strategy. And of course, uh, where do you pollute? In the low-income area, areas where yeah, there's less, you can be less punished by maybe political votes or they're less affluent or they have less voice the entanglement of the two of the two ways. And I really liked putting like a, a stopper to that and in a way to solve the, the dilemma that we study in university and the game theory. So can you explain a bit how the tool of legislation can break this circle? So, you know, in the United States, and again, we hear it in countries around the world, we always hear how we, the people, have a right to clean water, and we have a right to clean air, and we have a right to healthy soils, to grow healthy foods. And, you know, people rise up and, and make these pronouncements time and time again. But the truth is, here in the United States and literally around the world, we don't actually have the rights to clean water, clean air, healthy soils, healthy environments, and a stable climate. And we don't have, I mean, we have those rights in our hearts. We have those rights in our minds. They are inalienable rights by virtue of the fact that we are people here on this earth. But if those are not rights that are enforceable under the law, then you don't actually have them, right? It's a powerful, important concept, but legally we haven't changed anything for people. What a Green Amendment does is it places the right to a clean, safe, and healthy environment in the Bill of Rights section of our state and federal constitutions so that our environmental rights are given highest constitutional protection and recognition here in the United States of America 
over and above all the laws that are created, all over and above all of government. So anytime a law is passed, anytime a law is implemented, anytime government acts, it must do so in a way designed to respect and protect the rights of the people to a clean, safe, and healthy environment like clean water and clean air. And because these rights are recognized at that highest constitutional level, when our government officials or the implementation of our laws fails to work to protect the environment in a meaningful, powerful way, so it truly is protected as a right of the people, then we, the people, actually can turn to the Constitution and hold our government officials accountable in the courts. And that's what's different. It makes environmental rights a right of the people that the people can enforce when government fails us. The Green Amendment movement that I'm advancing is starting at the state level. So here in the United States of America, every single state has a constitution that oversees the state government. And then at the federal level, we also have a federal constitution that oversees what our government officials do, like Congress and the EPA and the president, right? And the Supreme Court. We are seeking green amendments at that state level first, and we'll go to the federal level second for a couple of reasons. First off, here in the United States, States have a lot of power when it comes to environmental protection. The law is designed that way for the states to have a lot of power and the federal government to have a lot of power. Essentially, the federal government sort of sets the minimum level of protection you need to achieve, and then the states are allowed to be more protective. So by design, the states have power. So if we get state green amendments, then we have a way to ensure greater protection in every state where we have this constitutional green amendment. The other reason for starting at the state level is constitutional amendments at the state level in the United States are very accessible. It actually happens all the time. You don't see a lot of changes in the federal constitution, but you do see it in state constitutions. So we can actually achieve these green amendment protections in the near term. And as we're going forth and doing the work of educating people and organizing people to the point where they are passing and using and enforcing these Green Amendment constitutional environmental rights protections, we will be putting in place the foundation of understanding people power necessary to ultimately get that federal Green Amendment, which is what we need to oversee the federal government. So that's the solution to the problem. And I think it is also a solution that when I look at international law or I have international law experts sort of reach out to me and we talk about the Green Amendment movement, what we experience in the United States actually seems to be pretty representative of what happens worldwide, is that there are a lot of nations that talk about the environment and talk about environmental rights, even have language in their constitutions, like we have here in the United States. Almost every state constitution talks about the environment, but they don't raise it up to that highest constitutional level. The same as I understand it happens in constitutions of different nations around the world. They talk about environmental rights, but they don't give it that highest protection and that enforceability. And so as a result, it, it becomes really powerful language, but it doesn't really change the situation because it doesn't give the power back to the people. So I think that what we talk about here in the U.S. actually has some resonance. 
um, worldwide? You no, know, you can be a, a start of a moon. If courts can be enforcing this type of regulation, there will be a serious threat and as, as well a strong motivation for cooperation and war. And as usually in all the movement, in all the change, we talk about small wins. I will not say small because there have been tremendous win. Can you talk about the two biggest achievements of your work, especially the one you talk also in the book? For my beautiful Delaware River and my role as the Delaware Riverkeeper, we had been fighting against fracking for fossil fuels from shale for many, many years with quite a bit of success. But in one of our states, Pennsylvania, the fracking industry under the laws that were in place was really able to run roughshod over our communities and our environments. The laws did not put in place essential protections. But for the, the industry, actually, as you've talked about, right, the industry really wants to externalize their impacts and they want to be able to exploit the environment um, as much as possible in order to achieve their profit goals. And what we had here in Pennsylvania was that while the fracking industry really was able to proliferate broadly under the laws that we had in place, they wanted to find a way to weaken the laws even further so they could undertake even more fracking and put in place even more devastating consequences for the environment and the communities. And so the fracking industry actually wrote a, a law for themselves that weakened the existing laws even further, put in place automatic waivers, mandated that fracking operating well pads be allowed to be located in the heart of residential communities and much, much more. I and my role as the Delaware Riverkeeper knew when this law was passed that I had to find a way to challenge it because it was going to make fracking worse, right? And of course, fracking doesn't just harm the environments where it's happening, but it has devastating consequences for future generations in terms of the climate crisis. The problem is, you know, what do you do when you have a law that has actually been passed by the legislature and signed by, at the state level, by the governor? You don't really have too many options because the legislature has, they have all the power. But we recognize that actually in Pennsylvania, there was this kind of environmental rights amendment, what I now call a green amendment that had been passed years before in the Pennsylvania constitution, but had been largely ignored. And we thought at my organization that this law was so egregious that maybe we could use this long ignored environmental rights amendment to challenge and defeat the law. And long story short, that is exactly what we did. We challenged the law claiming it would be a violation of the Pennsylvania Environmental Rights Amendment and the Pennsylvania Supreme Court agreed with us. And so we were able to defeat the law before it was ever implemented. And at the same time, we literally breathed legal life into this long ignored environmental rights amendment. When we accomplished that, I looked at that amendment and said, what is special? What is unique about what Pennsylvania has? And I laid it all out and identified the criteria. I called it a green amendment. I looked at every state constitution across our nation. And I found that only one other state at the time had this kind of amendment. And that was Montana. And I decided I was going to change that. And that's why I wrote the book, The Green Amendment. And I started this green amendment movement. And we now have Green Amendment movements advancing in over a dozen other states. And just last year, we had a Green Amendment passed in the state of New York. So we now have three states with constitutional Green Amendments. 
And in all the three states where we have them, we're really seeing how powerful it is to have a constitutional right to clean water, clean air, and a healthy environment that is recognized in the same way we recognize other fundamental rights, like the right to free speech and freedom of religion, and we're making a difference. And in the book, I mean, I advise, read the book, because there are wonderful examples and the real cases and the legal battles that led to that. Let me do a bit the Davis advocate and say, you know, I... Very nice, touchy feeling, Maya. Wow, we all like the fish and the things, but hey, we need business. What the hell is the business case? Was this green amendment? Do you want, are you trying to destroy America? Or, or is it instead positive related? And then, and in the book, you discuss about that. Of course. Well, the thing is, is right, a, a clean and healthy environment is powerfully important for clean and healthy economies and jobs, right? Businesses need workers that can come to work. If there's too much pollution, workers get sick and they can't come to work, right? Kids can't go to school and learn and become future workers. You have a lot of business operations that need clean water to manufacture their products, to manufacture their foods. And if the water is too contaminated, it actually costs business operations money to clean up the water to be able to you know, undertake their business operations. That's very costly for them. When we inflict the human health harms or the flooding and flood damages or drought consequences of environmental degradation, it costs everybody in increased taxes and tax dollars to solve the problem, right? So it's very, very costly for businesses, for people, for taxpayers, for governments. And on the flip side, not only is it costly on businesses when the environment is polluted and degraded because it does increase their business operating costs it does harm their workers and their ability to have you know healthy healthy um workers but at the same time we can show that when the environment is healthy businesses make more money developers who are de developing homes can sell those homes more quickly for more money if they're done in a way that's protective of the environment where trees are protected. Um, we can see that ecotourism eco businesses make a lot more money when the environment is protected and recreation is a big part of the U.S. economy and of economies around the world. If we decimate our rivers and our forests and our fish and our ecosystems, then all all those business operations dependent upon those clean and healthy environments will dissipate and go away. We can also see, um, you know, I, I, as you say, I, I put in place a number of examples to really show how clean water and clean air and healthy environments help business operations do better all the way around. It saves them money. It makes them money. It helps them with their workers. And it's just all around better for for the economy when we do it the right way. If we just look at energy development, right? Like we're all doing dirty fossil fuels. We're devastating lives. We're devastating the climate, inflicting huge economic harms. But if we go down the clean energy path, which is available to us, and there's so many studies to prove that clean energy is accessible everywhere across the United States of America and around the world and can supply all the energy that we need if we start to transition now, 
not only will we get all the energy we need, we'll avoid the cost of the environmental degradation to the water, to the air, to the climate, but actually, we actually end up increasing the number of jobs that we create for workers. You create three to five times the number of jobs when you go down the clean energy path versus dirty fossil fuels. So that's another really great example of how doing it the right way environmentally helps us and doesn't hurt us. I really recall, I mean, it was shocking for me, uh, the business case for the Green Amendment was already with the New York Water and the way you have discussed in the book how without filtration and preserving the catchment, I really saved billions and billions of dollars to one of the biggest cities in the world. Of course, as you say, developers, who wants to stay near like plant, smelling plants or a, a river that has fishes with three eyes. So, you know, all this you discuss in, in the book, and I really was touched about the anglers that they go and fish and say, oh, this, this is from this river and this fish is from that river, depending on the mutation. So it's really something that regeneration and restoration, there's a lot of business. And I usually think that maybe the next corporate business is to be like restore the environment. And we pray, we hope for that. And the Green Amendment can be that for that. And I want to ask, Another question, you discussed and you touched uh, this. America is a very polarized society. We have seen people uh, going to march and we have seen a very polarized election. And uh, usually people do, don't seem to talk to each other. If you are A and B say something, of course it's wrong and vice versa. How, you know, the Green Amendment can be really a bipartisan movement. How this can help, you know, heal also this my side thing. So I love that you raise this because it really is such a powerful and important point. And it gets made very simply. We all need clean water. We all need clean air. We all need healthy food grown in healthy soils to live happy, healthy, long lives and to have good jobs, right? That we can go to. And we find that in the Green Amendment movement, really just talking about those basic essentials of life allows people to come together regardless of their political affiliation, right? As long as we approach the conversation the right way, not you're a Republican, so you're not gonna care, you know, and you're a this, so you, you're gonna whatever, but we really come and bring it down to we're all people. And we all need a clean, safe, and healthy environment to survive and to thrive. And let's figure out how we can accomplish this together. And you're right. We have to also make the business case. That is part of the conversation. We have so many farmers, for example, here in the United States that have lost their farms because of toxic contamination in their water supply, right? And, And so we can use these examples of how environmental degradation has really harmed people and businesses to get people on the same page. And where we have green amendments advancing, not always, not everywhere, but what we find a lot is that we are getting that bipartisan support right from the get-go with conservatives and liberals all agreeing that a healthy environment is something that we can come together around and make a difference on for the benefit of all people. And this is wonderful, especially looking at the panorama and the news from the States. It's really something that is an amazing achievement. Talking about this, you have a chapter and also, you know, in the foreword, there's a, a link between, you know, the Green Amendment and the social justice. How these two important parts can be related and are related. So environmental racism is very real. 
under US law, where we really do have black and brown people, Native Americans, again, low-income people are targeted for the very reasons that you said, right? They are targeted for highly for pollution and degradation because as you said, they don't have the money, they don't have the connections, they don't have the political sway or the affluence necessary to get the politicians to pay attention to them. But because a, the, a constitutional Green Amendment requires that the rights of all people, regardless of race and gender and ethnicity and socioeconomics, must be protected equitably across the United States of America, when we can show there is this disproportionate impact from environmental degradation on communities of color, indigenous and you know, BIPOC communities, they can grab onto that Green Amendment to fight for their rights to a clean, safe, and healthy environment. And so the Green Amendment, one of the most powerful elements of the Green Amendment is that it really is a powerful tool for securing environmental justice, for dealing with the systemic racism that happens in the environmental context. Right. And so it is an, a powerful and important part of the social justice movement, because, of course, when communities of color, low income indigenous communities are forced to live in environmental sacrifice zones, not only do they have unhappy lives, but they have unhealthy lives. When their kids go to school, they literally can't learn as well as other children who are going to schools in non-polluting environments either because the neurotoxicants are literally harming their brains or because the inability to look out the window and see nature, actually science shows harms the ability to learn as well as a child who can look out a window and see nature and better yet engage with it. So green amendments are a powerful part of the environmental justice movement and a powerful part of the social justice movement because that clean and healthy environment is an underpinning of good quality, successful lives for all of us. And it is the Green Amendment that ensures that all people have the same rights to an environment of quality that is not just recognized in rhetoric, but is enforceable because it's in the Constitution. One of the quote I like the most is like, you're not disposable one of the chapter that is in the book and it's really was a powerful story that one and many others as we are approaching the end of the episode and this wonderful uh, discussion i want to ask what is the way forward for the movement so really it's for people to get involved right this is a movement of people by people and for people so if you live in the united states of america if you go to www.4for for the generations with an s on the s on the end.org you can find out what's happening in your state and get involved and if there is not a green amendment movement yet happening in your state you can learn how to get in touch and we can work together to make it happen. Literally, some of my most powerful movements in certain states happened because one person heard a podcast like this and said, I want to make it happen. And they picked up the phone and they called me and we connected and we started to work on it. And if you are from, you know, another country and this concept is intriguing, you know, maybe look at the website as well for some of the parallels. And, you know, if there's a way that I can be helpful in your country, 
I'm always interested. I've had a number of really rich and wonderful conversations just talking about how the Green Amendment concept from the United States could translate um, into um, being a, a helpful tool in other countries. So, but it's really just about people learning and getting involved in advocating for this powerful pathway for protection. And thank you so much, Maya. And read the book because that would be a wonderful. We will put in the notes of the podcast or the website that Maya has put. And also, of course, a way you can purchase the book, discuss and see, learn, and even critically to see. And we hope with the podcast to launch idea like this and see change maker that are really transforming the way we interact with our planet to make it a better place for the future generation. So thank you so much, Maya, for your wonderful job and for your passion that is really contagious. Thank you so much for Thank you for having me and helping to spread the word. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.